Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face. -face. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. We thank the true and living God for allowing us to be part of this ministry. May he be with you and us tonight. Every Sunday we meet up at the University of Utah. Uh, we call it campus, 10 a.m., 2.30 p.m. You're welcome to join us. We promise you will walk away uh, knowing more than when you came in. Also, every Sunday... Radio station AM 820 replays Heart of the Matter from 1 to 2 p.m. We invite you to tune in to AM 820. For those of you living in near Nampa, Idaho, this Friday, October 26, 7 p.m., I have the opportunity to speak at Grace Bible Church. It's located 1415 West Lone Star Road, Nampa, Idaho, 83651, 7 p.m. sharp. That's this Friday. Nampa, Idaho, Grace Bible Church. Hey, for those of you who are frustrated with our websites and our updates of the shows and things related to our on uh, online ministry, we've had some difficulty of late. Obviously, we're behind several shows on both the X-Files and on uh, Heart of the Matter, HOTM.TV. Bear with us. We're working it out, and I think everything is uh, going to be corrected in a very short time. We had a nice turnout for our Jesus sign giveaway a few weeks back. I think we distributed a couple hundred signs along the Wasatch front. People were putting them on their lawns, living room windows, and the back of some of their automobiles. Some people got really motivated and uh, placed them out along with other, other political sign areas along the community uh, of the highways and byways of Utah. Unfortunately, everywhere where those were placed, somebody or many people tore them down or took them away. They just disappeared. Every time they would be put up, someone would take them away. Uh, I guess it shouldn't be surprising uh, at all. In any case, on November 3rd, Saturday from 2 to 3 p.m., if you didn't get a sign, stop by Lifeway Christian Bookstore. Check it out because uh, uh, Derek and Danita will be out there from 2 to 3 handing signs out if you didn't get one or you want more. Speaking of Lifeway Christian Bookstores, Christian bookstores have a hard time in Utah. It's a tough gig. In fact, Lifeway Christian Bookstore is a 501c3. That means they're, t they're a nonprofit. They literally run in the deficit here in Utah and are subsidized by other stores. Uh, I know this from knowing the manager, Robert. So uh, we just want to uh, 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 encourage you to go and visit Lifeway Christian Bookstore as the holidays come around and people buy gifts and all that stuff. Consider Lifeway Christian Bookstores there on State Street in uh, Murray, and uh, we think they carry good stuff, so check them out. We have got a lot to talk about. we got a lot to catch up on, but first, let's take a moment and get into the Word. Now, we believe the Word of God is so important that at our campus gatherings on Sundays, we've put it to music, and we do this so that people can uh, get it in their head uh, and, and, and at the same time worship God through uh, learning His Word. As a means to give you more exposure to the Word of God through our programming, we're going to start playing uh, part of a different verse that we have set to music every week before we go to From the Word. So right now, check this one out. My yoke is easy and my burden 
So each week we're going to introduce you to a new verse and show you how we've put it to, uh, to uh, music uh, for your benefit. Let's go to John uh, chapter 15. Now we left off several weeks back at verse 12 tonight. Jesus is teaching his 12 apostles about how the world will respond to them. And this is what he says in verse 18 and 19. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of this world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Are you a Christian that the world can't stand, that the world hates? If you are, and if it's because uh, you stand for him and him alone, not because you're annoying or something, uh, but because you stand for him and, and him alone, you're in good company right along with the Lord and his 12 disciples. Now, here Jesus tells his 12 that if they were of the world, then the world would embrace them, the world would love them. From this, I think we can assume that if the world loves a believer, uh, then there may be something wrong with the message that believer is presenting. See, if we do what the world does, if we assume its attitudes and its methods and its lifestyles and its opinions, it's going to love us. But Jesus says that if we are his and we reject the things of this world, its policies and its principles and its politics, the world will hate us like it hated him. Notice again that our Lord and King says here to his chosen disciples, if you were of the world... The world would love his own, but because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. More and more we are seeing the world in which we live kind of polarizing into two general camps. The morally vile and reprehensible, and then those who believe they are morally superior, uh, perfectors of their flesh. Listen, neither attitude is from him or his kingdom. His kingdom is not of this world. It's not here existing sinfully and nor is it here striving for human holiness in piety. Uh, it's here sharing him saved by grace through faith. That's what his kingdom is and that's how it exists in this place. Every day we are watching and observing people in the church say it doesn't matter what God you worship or what doctrines a person embraces or who they call Lord. What matters is unity and fighting to evil together, doing good. When believers join these ranks selling our Lord out in his mission, Jesus explained the re result. They will be loved by the world because the world loves its own. Then in chapter 16, which is a continuation of the same conversation in, in John 15, Jesus adds, 16, 1 through 3, These things I have spoken unto you, that you should not be made to stumble, he says to the twelve. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. And these things they will do unto you, because they have not known the Father nor me. Watch for these very things to play out with true believers in the years and decades to come. I want to pay tribute to Christians everywhere who have been willing to stand for him and him alone, who do not live and shake in fear, who willfully reject the philosophies of 
pandering men and who refuse to look to worldly systems for uh, solutions, but are sold out. They stand sold out for the Lord Jesus Christ, living by real faith, having their eyes focused on him and the cross alone. You know who you are. You call the truth the truth. You call a lie a lie. And you do not compromise your stance for our Lord for any reason under the sun. So God bless you. With that, let's have a word of prayer. Father God, we, we thank you and we are grateful for all that we have. We pray that your Holy Spirit will be with those who are seeking for truth, that you'll be with those who are involved in the program, our volunteers and staff and, and people who pray for us. We pray for our audiences, wherever they may be, that they will uh, be able to hear those things that are true, discard those things that are not. In Jesus' name, amen. We are going to use tonight to catch up on a number of uh, things, a veritable cornucopia, a plethora of issues that have stacked up on our table over the past several weeks, including the recent LDS General Conference and some things that were said uh, and, and announced, the um, uh, Billy Graham issue that has come up and been so popular, of course, the uh, political uh, candidacies of a Latter-day Saint. We're talking about the Latter-day Saint not the political candidacy, and, and much more, quite frankly, good, good emails. But before getting into them, uh, we have, Cassidy's prepared a, a, a very timely, a very important a message. We don't have commercials on Heart of the Matter, but we have this message. We hope you'll take a minute and watch it. Yeah, it's been amazing. It's been an amazing ride. All glory and honor to him for letting us be a part of it. We have been able to see so many people not just leave Mormonism, but come out into a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's worth its weight in gold. Since 2003, Aletheia Ministries has sought to reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ. In 2006, we aired a first of its kind a weekly live call-in television program that compares and contrasts biblical Christianity with present-day Mormonism. Uh, we could talk about how they say Jesus was a created being. Bible says he's the Alpha and the Omega. Bible says he was not created by anybody. He's uncreated. The Mormon Church says that Jesus Christ suffered in the Garden of Gethsemane. But all the references to suffering and to our being Christian is focused on the cross in the Bible. The Mormon Church says that, that you are not righteous because of Christ's life. The Bible says he imputes his righteousness into us as believers. So we're not only cleansed of our sins, we are made righteous by our faith on him. Since that day, Aletheia Ministries has published three book titles, distributing over 20,000 copies all over the United States and world baptized hundreds of people, seen thousands come out of Mormonism, tens of thousands refuse attempts of the LDS missionaries, and has equipped literally millions of people with the facts about Mormonism relative to biblical Christianity. And we've only just begun. The answer 
I'm sorry. <laughs> I just love my country. And I'm a Mormon. I am a Mormon. And I am a Mormon. The year of 2012 has been dubbed the Mormon moment, as the LDS Church, for the first time in its strange and troubled history, is seeking to have one of its own assume the most powerful and respected position in the world, that of President of the United States. After 40 years of activity in Mormonism, Aletheia founder, television host, author, and non-denominational pastor, Sean McCraney, is able to articulate the positive and negative effect of the Mormon moment. Mormonism brings in a minimum of $16 million a day they own the internet, uh, and they're very adept at swaying public opinion. We've got to inform people about what Mormonism is truly about. We're in a position to do something to stop it. We have the material. We just need some ability to get that material out to the public. Aletheia Ministries is placed to move its television programs, podcasts, books, and website materials not only into different languages, but into far more invasive distribution channels. But we need your help. If the time is right for you, and the inclination has come to you from our King, please consider Aletheia Ministries this tax year. This ministry is about love. It is not about antagonism. We use methods to reach people's hearts, to get them to search out these facts for themselves. And, 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 and that's what we're about, and we need your help to do it. I can't think of anything else. Mon Magazine uh, wrote an article recently, published an article recently about uh, the Latter-day Saint man running for office. It says here, Romney avoids mentioning it, but Joseph Smith ran for president in 1844 as an independent commander-in-chief of an army of God advocating the overthrow of the U.S. government in favor of a Mormon-ruled theocracy. Challenging Democrat James Polk and Whig Henry Clay, Smith prophesied that if the U.S. Congress did not accede to his demands, that, quote, they shall be broken up as a government and God shall damn them, unquote. Smith viewed capturing the presidency as part of the mission of the church. He had predicted the emergence of the mighty and strong one, a leader who would set in order the house of God and become the first of many prominent Mormon men to claim the mantle. Smith's insertion of religion into politics and his call for a theodemocracy where God and people hold power to conduct the affairs of men in righteous matters created a sensation and drew hostility from the outside world. 
We have been saying this since we've been on the air in 2007 and 8. We said this time was coming. We said that it was going to the LDS were going to gain the favor of the body of Christ, get behind them by political means. It's merely a step in the direction. What to do? Vote for Jesus. Vote for Jesus. Get on your knees. Make war with the floor. Fast. Pray and be Christians. All right, back to uh, the general conference. First, it seems the brethren were inspired to lower the age of full-time missionaries. The first thing to note is that they are not calling this a revelation. This has been a kind of a shift. They are saying it was by inspiration. There was inspiration that led to this change, where they used to be able to get away with saying, thus saith the Lord, missionaries shall now serve from right when they get out of high school on, uh, and, and stuff like that. They are saying the leadership was inspired, which is going to make it much easier for them to say the leadership was inspired five years from now to change it back or whatever they might do. Got an email from Ben on the subject which says, Sean, what do you think about the church's move to 18-year-olds to head out on missions instead of 19-year-olds? He adds his own opinion. To me, this is indicative of needing more naive, unlearned children to represent their whitewash program in history. With this new age, they are now allowing almost no time to transpire between high school and being shipped out, which means no time to study it out, think critically, independently. I would agree with that. I think it keeps them out of college, which they can be swayed by these, the Internet and all the information out there. Uh, but I think the uh, Mormonism uh, is also doing it because the number of Mormon missionaries through this grand inspiration um, is going to help them proselytize the world uh, if one of their own should get into the Oval Office. I wonder um, if the LDS Church is going to thank Billy Graham for helping them uh, so much with their missionary efforts. Uh, then, uh, and I know I'm picking, I know I am poking at a uh, uh, um, uh, kind of a sacrosanct uh, uh, person in the Christian community. I know Billy Graham has done many, many uh, wonderful things in helping the church along, but what he did with the LDS uh, church of late, and we're going to get into it, absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely, they, they, they uh, got to an old man who, who just out of the kindness of his heart and thinking that it's going to be the best thing, has no idea what he's saying and, and, and has led the body of Christ to follow him and his publications. I have respect for him as a brother. I, I, I wish I had the heart and temerity he has all these years of serving the Lord, but he's made a great mistake in this area. Um, additionally... In the LDS General Conference, Apostle Jeffrey Holland uh, said something so ludicrous, we have to stop and point it out. Relative to people leaving the Mormon church, in particular, he uh, talked about returned missionaries, uh, which he kind of singled out in the speech later on. Holland said, quote, To those who were once with us, but have retreated, preferring to pick and choose a few cultural hors d'oeuvres, from the smorgasbord of the restoration and leave the rest of the feast, I say that I fear you face a lot of long nights and empty nets. Let's break this threat down for a minute. First of all, he describes anyone who leaves the church as retreating. That's how he describes them. It's a pejorative term any way you look at it. Any Christian would look at a, somebody who leaves the Mormon church for the Christian religion and for no, the Christian faith, and uh, they would call that an advance. They would say that's a, that's a, a great move toward the throne of God. Uh, Holland says it's, he refers to people who leave as retreating. 
as though they're inferior, as though they are, uh, you know, escaping, going AWOL from the, from the fight. Secondly, he minimizes a person's reason for leaving by equating it with picking a few hors d'oeuvres amidst, amidst what he calls the smorgasbord of the rest, restored gospel. Uh, having been LDS and left it, I want you to know that the reality is absolutely the opposite. Flip-flopped right over that, uh, from the picture that Holland paints. The reality is people leave Mormonism over a smorgasbord of baloney and uh, historical garbage that is laid out before them, while those who remain fearfully gnaw on a few hors d'oeuvres that are palatable, like a good basketball program, and their families feel united, and uh, you know they have good leadership and nice buildings. Those are the hors d'oeuvres. I mean, that's, that's what people are really staying in there for. But when you look at the real chunk of the whole deal, that's the smorgasbord, and it's nothing but baloney. So finally, Holland resorts to what all cult leaders, I have never used that term, I don't believe, in seven years. Now it is part of my vernacular, since it has been scrubbed away from the vernacular of Billy Graham, one of the nation's large, uh, uh, leaders, Christian leaders. Now the cult leader, Jeffrey Holland, resorted to uh, coercion and manipulation and control through threats. This is what he said. He said, for those who have left, I fear you face a lot of long nights and empty nets. What does that mean? Long nights and empty nets in this uh, Orwellian doublespeak that Holland is throwing out upon people. It means Holland is telling people that if you leave the church, you're, gonna, you're not going to be able to have rest and peace. You're going to have uh, uh, tossing and turning all night long because, you know, you've left the thing that gave you the rest and peace. And when he says empty nets, that's doublespeak for saying you're not going to have finances. You're not going to have money to pay your bills. You're not going to be able to feed your family. You're going you're to throw your nets out and you're going to draw them in and they're going to be empty of things. And uh, can you imagine a true Christian pastor saying to anybody, if you leave my denomination, if you leave my, my church, you are going to have long sleepless nights and face a life of empty nets? No, you wouldn't hear that because um, that's a tactic of a cult to use threats and fear upon people when someone is just saying, hey, I don't, the Mormon religion doesn't work for me. I'm going to go be a born again Christian. They throw down heaps like this. Uh, anybody I have known who's ever left the Mormon church, myself included, has been told either in writing or verbally from their leaders, they will suffer eternal consequences that they will lose their family, that their marriage will deteriorate, their nets will be empty, they'll have sleepless nights, Satan will take over their lives, and that their children will become evil. Those are all like curses that they throw upon you when you think of leaving. And I want to, everybody to know here tonight that uh, when, uh, uh, my left, when I left the LDS church and our family left, it was the best decision we have ever made. And, you know, where he says you're going to have long uh, nights, uh, you're right. Long nights of rest, long nights of sleep, long nights of not having to worry about getting up at 6 a.m. to go to your Sunday meetings so that you can show up and feel like you're doing your part. Lots of long nights, I agree. Lots of loving and stuff like that that happens with married couples on long nights. And, uh, and, and, and garmentless nights.
Uh, and let me tell you something. You don't know freedom until you've been uh, able to release from this bondage that these guys are putting on you. And additionally, in terms of empty nets, um, I was talking with my friend RJR. God has blessed our family beyond comprehension. Uh, he has given all of us new life. He has filled our home with all we need. Our net is so brimming full of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and a love that he gives us for each other and others. You cannot put a price tag on it. So don't listen to these threats that he put out over their general conference in such a despicable way. Moving on to another LDS general conference related topic. It seems a number of the speakers were quite concerned that their members were reading things on the internet that were not good. Three different speakers said things. Elder Walter Gonzalez said a doozy. He said today, quote, surrounded by so much information, we might think that navigating millions of web pages will give us all that we need to know. We can find good and bad information on the web, but information alone is not enough. God has given us another source for greater knowledge, even knowledge sent from heaven. Our Heavenly Father can give us such knowledge, listen to this, when we navigate the celestial web in our hearts and minds. What's he talking about? When we navigate the celestial webs in our hearts and minds. These guys are going more Orwellian. You can't even understand what they're saying half the time. What does that mean? I want to go to the word of God and see what God has to say. Not navigate the celestial web of my mind and heart, which is so full of garbage in the first place. It's amazing. All right. Then Quentin L. Cook said, quote, some have emerged themselves in Internet materials that magnify, exaggerate, and in some cases invent shortcomings of early church leaders. Then they draw incorrect conclusions that can affect testimony. Anyone, any who have made these choices can repent and be spiritually renewed. Finally, Elder Neil Anderson said, quote, there, always, there has always been a few who want to discredit the church and destroy faith. Today, they use the internet. Some of the information about the church, no matter how convincing, is just not true, end quote. I'm sure, Elder Anderson, that some of the information on the internet is just not true. But what about all of it that is? What about that stuff, Elder Anderson? For instance, multiple First Vision accounts that contradict each other, that's on the internet. Is that not true, Elder Anderson? Uh, Joseph Smith's secret polygamy? Fact or reality, Anderson? The fact that polygamy is considered an eternal principle in Mormonism today? Be honest, Brother Neil, uh, uh, that ma matter cannot be created nor destroyed by even God himself. Is that a teaching of Mormonism? Is that fact or is that fiction? Adam God, taught by one of your prophets as doctrine, true or not, Anderson, that Joseph shot and killed people in Carthage jail when he was on his way out for destroying a printing press? Why don't you show this in the film that you guys show in downtown Salt Lake City, Elder Anderson? How come you don't show Joseph drinking wine and shooting back and killing people in that glorious film you do of Joseph Smith? Is it fact or fiction, Elder Anderson? Mountain Meadows Massacre. How many members were involved in that, Elder Anderson? Is that a lie? 
The Kirtland Bank scandal. Is that a lie? Book of Abraham facts. Blood atonement. Magic rock in a hat to translate your most sacred book. Is that a fact or is that a lie? Past teachings on the conception of Jesus. A fact or a lie? These LDS leaders from Holland to Anderson and the rest in between are scrambling to stop the hemorrhaging that's going on in their church. They are using tactics that cults use. They are using tactics to keep you away from information because people are getting smart and they don't know what to do. You know what they need to do? They need to get honest. They need to stand up in the general conference and say, we repent. We've changed our mind about all the doctrines we have long stood for. We turn to Jesus and Jesus alone as the sole author and finisher of our faith. That's what they need to do. But in the meantime, they're using their corporate methods and strategies to try to continue to manipulate the world. Search everything, folks. Everything all the time. Always check out all facts. Anything about Christianity, look at the facts. Search it out. All right. Finally, I think it's important to address a speech given by Apostle Robert Hales uh, at a recent general conference. But before doing that, I'm going to open up the phone lines, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. Uh, First-time callers, please, LDS callers, if at all possible. We'd love to talk to you about your questions, concerns, and uh, turn down your television sets once the operators clear your calls. Robert Hales in a speech titled, Being a More Christian Christian. That's the title of Robert Hale's Apostle of the Lord's Church. It uh, says, I think you first need to be a Christian to be a better Christian Christian. So I'm not sure how that title fits in. But Hale used mostly biblical passages in this talk. And if you sat there and heard it, you'd think, hmm. If you were a Christian, you'd hear it and you'd think, wow, that's pretty good. Mostly Christian talk. Still going along. Still says mostly Christian things about how to be a Christian. Very, very nice. And he goes along. And then uh, he starts adding in things that get a little scary. And he says, um, as we follow, he, meaning Jesus, blesses us with gifts, talents, and strength to do his will, allowing us to go beyond our comfort zones and do things we've never thought possible. Okay, so we're still okay. And then he adds, this may mean sharing the gospel with neighbors. Elder Hales, what's the gospel? I want you to tell me, does it mean the Mormon gospel or does it mean the biblical gospel? You're talking about being a, a better Christian here. What gospel are you talking about that people should be sharing? I want to know that. And then he says, rescuing those who are spiritually lost. Rescuing those who are spiritually lost is something that a, a Christian Christian would do. Well, let me ask you something. Does that mean everybody who is not Mormon is somebody who's spiritually lost? If you're telling the truth, it would be. If this was a, 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 a Diane Sawyer was interviewing you and you were being honest, you would have to say, yeah, that would mean every single person is spiritually lost, but us. So you have this double speak going on in your, in your talks because you know what you mean when you say that stuff. You say serving a full-time mission. To share what, Elder Hales? Jesus Christ, risen, lived perfect life, crucified, resurrected, went on high. Elder Hales, are you talking about that? Or are you talking about sharing a gospel that includes works and temples and all these other things that come along with being a Mormon? You know what you're doing. And finally, he says, I'm working in the temple. How is there a temple? The temple veil was ripped in two, Elder Hales, apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, so-called, so so-claimed. Tell me something. How do you have a temple that you're talking about when the Bible perfectly makes clear that everything that was done in the temple pointed to Christ when he came and died, it was done with, it was over. 
There was no need for anybody to be involved in temples except the Jews. And that's a completely different covenant. So I don't understand. In the end, uh, Elder uh, Hales uh, gave a testimony and he said, quote, as one of his special witnesses on earth. That's a lie. He is not a special witness. That's a lie. I give my Christian testimony, he says. They use that word a lot now in, in conference. Uh, it's not a Christian testimony, so that's a lie. He's lied twice. That he, Jesus, is calling you today, come follow me. Jesus may be calling people, but what Hales is calling people to do is not. Come walk the paths that lead to eternal life, joy, happiness, uh, into your uh, uh, kingdom of our Father in heaven. And what kingdom is that, Elder Hales? Is it just heaven or is it a celestial realm that you have interpreted for but aren't speaking of here? It's doublespeak, it's rhetoric, it continues to flow from the mouths of these people. Let's go to Doug in Murray on line two. Doug's a first-time caller. You're on the air, Doug. Hi, Sean. I just go in because I wanted to share a story with you. Um, yes. About the LDS religion and, and my experience with them, anyhow. Yeah. I, uh, I recently went to the church and asked for a little bit of help with my rent. And after I asked for help with my rent, I was asked to meet with some missionaries. Um, after meeting with the missionaries, uh, the very first meeting that I had, my wife and I sat down with them. They, they didn't even teach me but a small portion of their religion and then asked me to be baptized on November 10th, which we both know is just a few weeks away. Wow. Um, this is an actually recent, recent encounter. Hmm. After I met with those two missionaries, they came back to my house every day and just basically knocked on my door and said, hey, we just want to see how you're doing. How's everything going? How can you win at church on Sunday? And I feel like it goes with what you're saying now on how it's a cult and, and it's, they, they do. Absolutely, Doug. What are you going to do? Oh, you know exactly what I'm going to do. I'm <laughs> going to stick with my faith, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Christianity. Our church is Our Lady of Lords out of Magna, and it's something that we enjoy and love, and that's what we want to do. So Praise God, Doug. Keep, keep strong in him, my brother. I am so glad you took the time to listen to me. Thank you. Thanks for the call. You take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. You know, they, they really shun the, the, the title cult. And, and like we said, uh, even the great Christian leader, Billy Graham's website, before him coming out and endorsing a Mormon for president, had his website scrubbed of any connection of calling Latter-day Saints part of a cult. But if you look at the totalist methodologies that cults use, there's a guy named Dr. Robert J. Lifton. Lifton wrote a book. He went to communist China and he studied co communist cult um, culture for years. And he came up with a list of like 15 things that uh, uh, cults use to control the minds of people. Every single one of them are present in Mormonism. Every one of them. Uh, they don't do it in the same ways. They don't threaten life, but they threaten livelihood. They don't threaten uh, the, the, the fear of families being killed, but they threaten family ostracization. They, 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 they uh, threaten social ostracization. And so uh, we have the makings, complete makings of a cult there, but they just are able to execute it in a different way. Uh, keeping all the material that you read clean from anything that would de uh, make you think differently as part of a cult. The LDS, I just read you three quotes from the recent conference. They're trying to keep their people from that stuff because they know they're hemorrhaging because people are reading it. 
Okay, so all those things there. We're going to Rudy in Pleasant Grove, first time caller, uh, LDS. Rudy, you're on the air. Yes, I'm just calling it. My wife and I have watched you more than once, and we've always noticed that I, I hear you say that you're a good Christian and you're looking to help people in their faith and to follow the Lord. Yeah. But yet, all I ever hear from you, it seems like 99 and 9 tenths percent of the time, is that you've made your whole life and purpose into hating the LDS church and its people. Okay, well, you made that comment. I how you can rationalize those two opposite behaviors. Okay, stop for a second and let me comment, okay? Okay, sure. Hating? I, do, I have done whatever I possibly could with the last 10 years of my life to help Latter-day Saints see the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have seen many come to that discovery. If you call trying to bring somebody to truth to understand what the Bible says relative to what Mormonism says, hate, we have a problem. That, you, see, that's really easy to label things in these, in these black and white terms. He's loving because he never brings up anything that's, that's uncomfortable or mean. He's hateful because he brings up things that challenge us. That's wrong to do. Jesus said, go out. Teach the gospel. What's the gospel? 1 Corinthians 15. First five verses tell you. The gospel is not what Latter-day Saints choose. So because I was LDS, Rudy, for 40 years of my life, and because I bought into the system, hook, line, and sinker, and thought it was true, served the mission, married in the temple, paid the tithing, all that stuff, and then I was able to see by God's grace what it's about, I have decided that I'm going to dedicate the rest of my life to helping people see the same thing. How am I wrong? How am I hateful? Well, it just doesn't seem like you preach love nor uh, being, letting people be who they are. Okay, let me ask you something. And if I believe that letting people be who they are means that they will go to hell, is it loving for me to sit back and say nothing or is it more loving for me, because of my beliefs in what this book says, to step out and do everything I can to reach? But as I've read the Bible, which I've read ever since I was probably five or six years old, on my own, long before I ever became a member of the church, yeah. I have always read in the Bible that the Lord teaches us to be understanding of other people, to be loving towards other people, and to try to help them. Okay. Hatred and anger and okay. bitterness are not those things which right. I identify with the Lord. Okay, let me, let me ask you something. I'm going to read from Scripture, okay? Chapter 23 of Matthew. Let me just read a couple passages, okay? Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, who devours widows' houses and for pretense make long prayers. You receive the greater damnation. Woe, you who make proselytes. Woe, you blind guides, children of the devil. Now, I'm asking you, I'm asking you, does that sound like rhetoric that is the way you just described love? Uh, the way I describe love is being understanding of each other. Does that sound, if I, if I was on the screen and I said, you Mormons are so full of hypocrisy and iniquity, woe you hypocrites, you whited sepulchers. I'm reading from scripture now, Jesus' words to the Jews of his day. Now you get on here and you try to paint me as being unloving because I'm direct. I won't let people get away with things. I, I quote from the scripture. 
Do you realize, let me ask you something. If you had a daughter, she's 18 years old and she's got some bum who comes into the house with her and he has convinced her that heroin is a noble drug. It opens her mind to things. It will lead her to a better life. And she's fully convinced that this guy is telling her the truth. Are you going to say, well, honey, I want you to choose your way and it's okay. We love this young man. Come sit down. Shoot up here in the living room. Or are you going to say, let me tell you what he's telling you. It's a lie. It will destroy you. Which is the loving thing, my friend? Well, having been a father, and I am a father, I, I think the most loving thing that a parent can say to a child is no. And that's only because you care about them and you want to help them. But unfortunately, Sean, that's not what I hear from you on your program. Okay, you, hear... every one of my questions to you have been purposely couched and caged with scripture, with real life situations, and all you do is flip it back and say what you see from me is not that. I have given you examples where our Lord called people pejorative terms. I haven't used pejorative terms. I am simply telling you that the, the religion you are following, sir, is a lie. Is that unloving of me or loving of me to spend my time doing that? Answer that question. If it is a lie, am I loving or unloving to point it out to you? I think your method... Answer that question. Don't worry about my methods. See, you want to now bring in my methods. You want me to take the LDS approach. I'm oh, well, we don't know about that. You, you know, Joseph Smith. He, you I, you I, want methods here, buddy. And with me, you don't get them. John the Baptist didn't practice Mormon methods. You have been taught a sales approach. And that sales approach, when a, when a salesperson wants to get something by on somebody, they use their charm and they use all their kindness to sway them into a sale. You don't get it with me because I'm not here to impress you with me. I'm here to tell you what the word says relative to what you believe. And I believe that is loving. Because when you come to understand that you have been deluded and lied to, you will come back and guess what? You will not see this side of me ever. When I'm with people, even when I'm with Latter-day Saints, it doesn't come out. But on this show, my job is to do all I can to get you to find the truth. You don't have it. Like you, you don't ever feel like you need to be more tolerant of other people? Tolerant of what? Lies? Tolerant of deception? Where is the tolerance needed? Why would I tolerate the heroin addict to tell my daughter, this is good for you? I would not say, well, I agree. I agree. It can be a little fun. It's stupid. You get to the point. This is damaging to you. It's damaging to your children. You think you have glommed on to truth. You have not. You've been lied to. And, just, and so what you do is you use an ad hominem attack. You say, well, look at him. Look at him. I'm going to attack him now. What about my facts, uh, Rudy? What about the facts we bring up? We've done 370 shows, hour long. I have had on one hand in seven years, Latter-day Saints actually hit me up for facts. But you want to talk about my person. Sean, can I give you a fact? Yeah. The first great commandment, as I have loved you, love one another. That's not the first great commandment. Not teach love. That's not the first great commandment. What's the first great commandment, Rudy? You've read the Bible well before you became a Mormon. What did the Lord say? What's the first great commandment? Love. Who? 
Love the Lord with all the your Lord heart. The Lord thy God with all your heart. That's what you're seeing on the screen right now. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's what you're seeing on the screen. What you see when you go to your meetings and hear people lie to you is deception. Satan is cunning. He's slippery. He's charming. Jesus in Matthew 23, John the Baptist, Isaiah, none of them played those rules. They told you the truth. He told a woman, hey, he told a woman, that he called, Jesus called women out on all kinds of things in love. Rudy, you've got it wrong. It's part of the deception. I think if you pray about it, Sean. Pray about what? Truth? Pray about, pray about what, Trudy? So I can, Rudy, you want me to talk quietly and you think that is what truth is. The truth is in the word of God. It's in the word of God. It's not in your mind. It's not in politeness. must have hurt you. Some no one has hurt me. I love my... Uh, you are so angry. Okay, now you know what you're doing now? You're going to the other defense. Someone has to have hurt Sean. No one hurt me. I had a great LDS mission. I loved my ward. I like being a Mormon more than I like being a Christian. And that makes my Christian friends mad. It, you guys are far f kinder. And, you, and you, I mean, usually, and you know, at least in Southern California, you know, everybody plays a little role. But it's just like living in Stepford. It's just not true. So I want truth now. I want people who say, you know, my life sucks. Oh, gosh, I, I really had a problem last night. I overdrank. You did? Oh, wow, that's heavy. That won't help you. I know. Instead of, oh, you know, Stepford, Stepford, Step. I mean, come on, Rudy. Come on. You think because you talk. What about truth, Rudy? Give me a truth that I bring up about Mormonism. Bring one. What do you want a truth of? You tell me about what it takes to be saved, Rudy. It takes to be saved. You have to accept the Lord as your Savior. You have to be taught the gospel. What gospel? Of your sins, and you have to be baptized. And what does that mean when you say that it gets the person saved, Rudy? The individual is saved because the Lord gave his life for us. What does saved mean in that context that you just painted for us? Saved is that we won't be in damnation. Okay, no, is that true? He, he took our, his sin, our sins upon him. Okay, so if I repent, I am baptized, and I believe in Jesus, you're saying I am saved from damnation. If you follow and endure to the end. And follow what? The Lord. And, ha and do what? Your LDS, you know the answer. Tell me the LDS answers. And you do... It's not you, the LDS. You do? You do what? The answer. The answer? You label everything as stupid and LDS and all. Tell me the answer, Rudy. Do I have to go to the temple? Nothing to do with the fact. What? Well, yes, they still have temples in this day and age. The Jews have temples. We have temples. The Jews have a temple. It's singular, my friend. They don't have temples. There's one temple on earth. Now, what did the Jews do in those temples, Rudy? Jews have multiple temples. Jews have one temple. Rudy, no, those other places are not temples. They are not their temple. They go to They're temple. their synagogues. They are not their temple. And they call it temple. Does it, ask any Jew, what, do you have a temple? Where is it? Where is the temple location? They do not have multiple temples, Rudy. They go to temples. Don't show your ignorance, Rudy. Mount Moriah is the only place. It's where Abraham went to sacrifice his son. Give me a break, Okay. What do you do in those temples, Rudy? Do you do what the Jews do? Do you sacrifice animals? 
Do you have a holy of holies that is kept separate by a carpet that a high priest goes in and offers blood up for the sins of your people? What do you do in that, Rudy? You do Masonic rituals, Rudy. I don't do that. I don't do satanic rituals. I said Masonic. You said satanic. Masonic, Rudy. That's a Freudian slip if I've ever heard one. Rudy. It is. Rudy, you got to go to your temple. Now what? You're jumping on the bandwagon. Rudy, the... Rudy, what does the temple have to do with believing and following Jesus and repenting and being baptized? Because the temple is important to one's salvation. According to who, Rudy? Who have you been listening to that tells you the temple is, is important to your salvation? Why did Moses carry the temple? Moses, Old Testament, Jesus came, fulfilled the law and the prophets, Rudy. Why are you bringing up Moses? Are you saying there were no temples after Jesus? The temple was destroyed by Titus in 70 AD as prophesied by Jesus. Read 1 Corinthians about what the temple is now. Read that the veil is the flesh of Jesus Christ, that he is our high priest. You have high priests in your church, Rudy? Do I what now? Do you have high priests in your church? Yes, I am one. You're, you're a high priest? I am. I am honored. What does that mean, Rudy? That means I am a high priest. I've been called to the office of a high priest. And what, what does that mean? What does that do for you? I help other people in the ward. I help the seniors. I help take care of people. You can't do that as a human being? The ultimate workings of a priesthood holder is service. It, aren't we supposed to serve as followers of Christ? Why do you need to have this high priesthood? I've never been told that we have to be angry and hateful towards people. You call it anger and hate. I call it love. If, potato, potato. What do you want? Let's stay on the topic, Rudy. Let's stay on the topic. Not about me. Let's talk about your high priesthood. I'm hurt them. Let's talk about your high priesthood, Shamed Rudy. You are hurting people when you reinforce this gospel. As much as your service, you think they're doing good, you are hurting people because you're leading them away from the cross of Christ. And you're th making them think that it's based on their righteousness that they are going to please God. It's a lie, Rudy. That's not what the Bible says. Oh, God. Were you going to quote James 2 for me? Does it not say that you have to do things you are commanded? That you have to be faithful. What are the commandments, Rudy? There's 12 of them. I'm not going to sit here and count them off. You're wrong. You don't even understand the Bible whatsoever, and it's typical. You're LDS. You are absolutely wrong about the 12 uh, commandments. You're supposed John, to be a that Christian. Sound a little arrogant, what you just said. That I, I don't, don't care about if you think I'm arrogant. You're wrong. And I'm, I'm calling you out because why don't you check me? Why don't you tell me how? Read the New Testament. I do. I've read the New Testament. You have not read it. You haven't read it with the eyes that can see. The law has been fulfilled in Christ. What are the two commandments of the New Testament, Rudy? You know the Bible so well. Sean, who hurt your feelings way back when? Oh, Lord. Now I'm back with my psychologist. Nobody hurt my feelings except the fact that Mormonism is a lie. And it hurts people's lives, Rudy. That you have been deluded. You came to the belief that Mormonism is a lie? I didn't come to the belief. I came to the knowledge through the facts. Rudy, we've taken a lot of time with you. I just, I just, I just want to challenge you uh, to look and see, are you establishing your own righteousness before God? 
Do you think that the life you live is what's going to please him when you die? Or do you think it's your faith on his son that he sent on your behalf? There is the difference between Christians and Mormons. And if you answer that honestly, you're going to have to say, you know you believe when you die, you're going to go before God and say, I was a high priest. I paid my tithing. I obeyed the Sabbath day sometimes. I tried not to lust, even though I did on occasion. All these things, Rudy. And you know what God's going to say? I'm judging you by the law you pretended to keep. Go to hell. I sent my son to save you, and you never realized it was by his righteousness that you are saved, Rudy. And what pretentious fact do you have to make accusations that I may not keep the Sabbath, or I may not do this, or I may you not? You can't keep the Sabbath. You're not a Jew. You don't do it on Saturday. I mean, do you want me to go on and on? Do you stone people who break it? You claim to know the Bible, but you really don't have many, much basis on this thing, Rudy. It's not arrogance. I'm just quoting what the Word says. That's the only knowledge I have. All right, my brother, keep watching. Love you. Bye. All right, we are going to go to Gary. Uh, no, we're going to go to Daniel. Uh, Ken Mormons, Daniel in uh, Georgia, I guess. Daniel, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, thanks, Sean. Um, I've just got a couple quick questions for you. I know you're probably short on time. Um, one has to do with... Um, when I'm witnessing to uh, LDS, I'm, I was never LDS. I've been a Christian for four years, and I studied with the missionaries for a bit before I got saved, for gloriously saved, for that matter, four years ago. Praise God. Um, and one of the things, like, I've done some research on UTLM, and I've uh, actually short, spoken briefly with Sandra Tanner over the phone over this issue a little bit. And talking about the temple, is that yay or nay when talk, witnessing to the LDS? At all. Uh, Talk about it at all. I, you know, it, it, I don't think it hurts. If you're talking to an active, faithful Latter-day Saint, if you talk about the temple, I think it's good as long as you don't try to uh, bring in what they actually do in there, but just try to compare and contrast what the Jews did uh, in the temple and what the LDS do in their temples. I think that uh, can open up some good dialogue. Okay. And that's, thank you. I, I actually had a, a chance to witness to an uh, LDS lady recently, and I've, I've Get a lot of compassion for him just because I was bound up in some cultic stuff before I got saved as well. Right. I understand it, but it's also, it is a lie, and it's, and you did very well with Rudy, by the way. I, you spoke very well. You were not arrogant. You were right on. Um, right. Have you ever heard of uh, Robin Teresavalka? Oh, yeah. Okay, I'm trying to, like, find out. I want to get, I mean, I've talked, I've never talked to him. I spoke with Russ East for very briefly. I really would love to come out to Utah at some point and just, either uh, be able to hook up with a group to be able to preach it, like do some like street preaching, whether it be at the Manti pageant or whatever. I just... Best thing to do is e LDS, I mean, just, email I, me or email Russ or email Rob, and, and uh, we'll lead you to the right people. Does that help? Definitely. Our, We're out of time, my brother. Um, all right, well, thanks, Brian. I appreciate your second my call. Okay, keep going. Bye-bye. Quickly. I have asked and asked and asked for a Christian to show me in the New Testament where it is a Christian's duty to get involved in politics, to rely on politicians, and that in the name of God that we have to vote and worry about the direction of our nation and the kingdom in which we live. Uh, please don't quote, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. I believe that. That's just obeying the, the laws of the land. Don't quote Romans 13. I understand that. All that simply is is being subject to the people who are putting in power over you. But I want to know where in the Bible it says that we have an obligation as believers to do this. Secondly, did Jesus, our King and Savior, or his 12 ever teach or speak about followers of Christ needing to worry or fear or fret or to do something about saving earthly kingdoms of this world? Ever. 
don't quote Paul before King Agrippa or Nero because contextually all Paul was saying is I have a right as a Roman citizen to preach. If, if, I, if the right to preach was taken away from me, I would appeal to the government too and say, I have a right to preach. And if they said you couldn't, I'd do it anyway. So, you know, that's all about the context of that. Third, what do you honestly think our Lord would do and say when faced with a choice of two evils, as people are saying these days? It's, it's, it's a choice of two evils. If our Lord was here, what do you think his advice would be relative to two evils? Seriously, do you really think he would consider it noble and valiant to support a man who says that he was created or that to say that his father was once a man? Do you think Jesus would really be happy about that? I'm not saying Jesus would be at all happy with the, uh, with the other choice, at all. Understand that. Uh, I've been labeled that I'm on uh, one candidate's side or not at all. But I'm just saying Christians, can we start to think? Fourth, who put our current president in office? Christians out there, how did he get in office? Did men put him in or did God? You know, we're so big on saying, he's a sovereign God, he's in control, he does everything. Oh, but we gotta do something so that we get the right guy in office. How did our president, current president right now at this moment get in office? Who put him there? Did men or did God answer that question? You know, I don't understand the thinking. It's schizophrenic, really. When you think about how we are going about this thing that's going on right now, all right? And fifth, Many cowardly, fear, fearful, sellout Christians actually believe it's their duty to elect a person that is pro-Israel. That's the new thing. We need someone who's really pro-Israel. Do you really think that God would allow anything to happen to Israel? I don't care if Jabba the Hutt is the president of the United States. Nothing's happening to Israel. God is not going to allow it. It's not in our duty. Our duty as believers is to share him to use the word of God as a sword and to let people know what is truth, what is not, and get them to see the light. That's the duty of the Christians. Otherwise, we'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter, Namelka. Mm -hmm.